night. I'm very excited about it. To be honest, I completely forgot about our life group, so I'm going to have to figure out how to mix that in because this is going to be at least three lessons long, um, maybe more. Uh, we'll see how far we get through tonight. But, um, but this is just a basic lesson. This is just important information, stuff that I think it is important for us to listen to, to learn, uh, for the at the very least, so that we could not be deceived, right? Because there's a lot of deception out there. We want to break open the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about the afterlife? What does the Bible say is going to happen when we die? What exactly is going to happen? So before I get too far into it, let me say a couple words. First of all, I am not God, right? We can all recognize that, and we're all better because of that fact. Hallelujah. I am not God, and I certainly do not have all the answers. Anything I give you tonight, uh, it is to my uh, the best of my ability to be in the Scriptures, to be scripturally sound. Of course, when we're talking about the afterlife, uh, you know, we don't have all of the answers, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but we don't have all of the answers. We are here tonight to read the Bible, study the Bible, and allow God to speak to us, right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to give you the best that I can, the most information that I can. I will try to tell you if this is just my opinion or if this is based, again, solely out of the Bible, or maybe this is adding a little to it or anything like that, there are some times where we have to fill in the pieces a little bit just because the Bible is silent on it. And I will try to explain throughout this series when it is I'm doing that and the reason that I am doing that. So the purpose that I'm teaching this season, this series, I told uh, Brother Victor, in prayer, I was praying about it, and and uh, and I just felt, you know, what a great season to talk about this, right? And, you know, with the Christmas ghost stories and Jacob Marley and and all of that. I mean, was Jacob Marley? Is that a situation that could actually happen? I, I think that that's a a legitimate question and something that in this series I will try to speak to specifically um, because it is so important, and Hollywood is so called up with this idea of the afterlife and ghosts and all of those things. We see it in almost every film, almost every franchise, TV show, you name it. There is some amount of afterlife talk or something happening with the afterlife, people dying, passing away, all of that. Really, we have romanticized death, right? In our society, we've romanticized death uh, and and we've created it into something that is fun, joyful, playful, all of that. Uh, and nobody truly knows exactly what it's it's all about. So, uh, and this was quite interesting. Uh, I I decided a, a couple days ago, yesterday, I decided uh, to name this afterlife. And uh, as I usually do when I come up with a series or a sermon. I'll go on Google and I'll just do a Google search, uh, usually to try to find a picture or some kind of inspiration for the image. But um, but I actually did that. And what I realized is that there's a new movie coming out called Ghostbusters Afterlife. 
I thought, well, what a coincidence, you know, just to speak on the fact that Hollywood is crazed over this topic of the afterlife and ghosts and and all of that. It makes good entertainment, I guess you can say. But what as Christians, we want to say, you know, I don't want to get our doctrine from some movie or some TV show. I don't even want to get my understanding of the afterlife from a tradition, Right, Because almost every tradition, culture in the world has some sort of teaching or tradition about the afterlife. I want to get my understanding of the afterlife from the Bible. Hallelujah, the source of truth and information for us today. So today, we want to debunk many of these things. In these series, this series, I'm hoping to debunk the ideas of wandering souls, reincarnation, soul sleep, calling on ancestors, and much, much more. Uh, Tonight's going to be a little bit more of an introduction. We will try to debunk a few of these, but tonight's going to be more of an introduction and just kind of getting us started on this topic, but what an important topic to talk about. So when it comes to Scripture and the Bible what the Bible tells us about the life, the afterlife, there are three assurances. Number one, there is an afterlife. That we know for a very fact. There is an afterlife. Number two, all human beings will live forever somewhere. That's just the fact of life. That's in Scripture, and again, we'll prove that today. All three of these I hope to prove, at least in somewhat, uh, today. The the third is the eternal destinies of people. Sister me, and I think maybe it might be a battery that's causing that clicking. Could you get me a battery for the microphone? Thank you. Uh, Number three, the eternal destinies of people of faith and those who reject God are quite different. And that's a core belief that we have, heaven and hell, right? What is heaven and hell? We're going to talk about that throughout this series. Um, But this is something we have to recognize and uh, understand. There are two different eternal destinies. The people of faith will be in one. The people who reject God will be in another one. Hallelujah. So uh, I think one good question, thank you. One good question today is why doesn't the Bible give more details on the afterlife? So in comparison to the total content of Scripture, it is somewhat surprising how little the Bible tells us about the life after death. We'll see if that helps a little bit. But it is uh, not surprising. It is surprising, somewhat surprising, how little the Bible tells us about life after death. Why is that? Why isn't there more details? We want to know what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity, right? (laughs) I mean, that's a long time. Why don't we have more information about that? Well, number one reason is because the Bible focuses more on how to get there rather than what is actually there. 
Now, we know there are several scriptures that talk about what is in heaven and what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, but the Bible takes much more time focusing on how to get there rather than what is actually there. It's a high priority. And if you read in scripture, you'll see where it's constantly talking about what we need to do to make it to heaven and constantly talking about what we need to do to have eternal life. It's not shy about talking about what we need to do to get there. It just doesn't have a lot of information on what it means when we are there. And and really, tonight and this series is not meant to be uh, all about giving you a full-on detail on everything that's going to happen when we die. I'm going to do my best to give you everything the Bible has on the topic. But at the end of the day, I'm not here to try to give you some information on how to live for God. I'm just here to try to inspire us today. Because when we start talking about this, we start talking about... Uh, you know, how to get there. We've been talking about that for a while. If you want to know how to get there, you need to go and visit our Producing Spiritual Fruit series that we've been doing on Sundays. That'll help you to know how to get there. But tonight and through this series, it's not meant to be instructional. It's meant to be inspirational. Because we need that, and that's really what the Bible does. The Bible constantly is inspiring us and showing us you want to make it to heaven. You want to be with Christ in eternity. Hallelujah. And we can rejoice in that fact here today and say, yes, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Hallelujah. And really, that's the next point here. The second reason is he gives us just enough information to make us excited, but not enough to spoil it, right? <laughs> he gives us just enough, ex- uh, hallelujah, when I think about the streets of gold, I don't know how often I'm going to walk on the streets of gold. I don't know if I'm even going to be walking on the streets of gold or just hovering over it. I don't have any of that information, but man, the streets of gold sound awful awesome. I want to be there for that, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So when we think about heaven and we read the scriptures and we talk about what what eternity is going to be like, the little bit that we have, it's enough to tease us. And, And really, that's what God wants to do. You know that the Holy Ghost is meant to be that tease for us. The Bible says it's a down payment, meaning the Holy Ghost is just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Hallelujah. Praise God. That makes me excited. I don't know if there's any better ad for heaven than get the Holy Ghost, experience the presence of God. Can you imagine being in the presence of God as we've had services here all day, every day, nonstop? Hallelujah, having no flesh that hinders us from his presence. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to go. And that's what I want to experience. Oh, how about we worship the Lord for a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So he gives us enough to keep us excited, not enough to spoil it. I can tell you what. From everything I read in scriptures, eternal life, the afterlife, it's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be worth it. Every struggle to get there is going to be worth it. Every hardship to make it there is going to be worth it. 
praise God. I don't know ex- every detail, but I know it's going to be worth it. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you shout that out now? It's going to be worth it. It is going to be worth it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So when we get into this topic, we're going to detail again what happens when we die according to Scripture. It's important that we understand that humans are both physical and spiritual beings. Or in other words, humans are both material and immaterial beings. That means that there's stuff that you can see about a human being and things you cannot see about a human being. Scientists are still greatly struggling with a logical explanation for the vast complexity of human beings. They just cannot put their finger on it. That's why almost every scientist, you get too far, you start dealing in philosophy and things like that because you just cannot pin it down. It's because there's an aspect of human beings that are not part of this world and cannot be understood by worldly terms, right? Science cannot discover or understand the human spirit or soul. You can try to the best you can, but let me tell you, we are so much more than a bunch of neurons firing. We're so much more than that And if you believe in the Bible, you have to believe in that fact. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us clearly, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, there's the body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit, and man became a living soul. Now, there's a few things that's important here when it comes to talking about the afterlife and specifically death in general. Our definition of death is is a little bit different, and I understand why we call it death, but what we call death is really simply the body just returning to the dust. So it's the death of our physical body, but that was not the source of life to begin with. The life did not have, I'm sorry, the body did not have life until the breath of God came into it. And when we die, it is not the breath of God that dies, it is the body. So in actuality, and this is what we have to recognize, is that when this flesh passes away, that's just the beginning of our spiritual life our life without this body. If the breath of life is what made us alive, then the expiration of the body does not mean death. It just means, again, it's a transition. It does not mean death. And again, we can call it death. Uh, This is a complication of terms that we're talking about here, but technically it is not death because the life is not in the body. It's in the breath of Christ. So Genesis chapter 2 and 7, it shows us three compartments to human beings. Number one, the body. It was formed by God out of the dust of the earth. This body is nothing by itself. Nothing. It is not alive. It does not have thoughts and you know feelings and all those things. It is nothing by itself. 
But when God, he breathed the breath of life into Adam, uh, it became his spirit. His spirit, which came into Adam as the breath of life when God breathed into him. This was the spirit. Now, there's a difference between the spirit and the soul. Hebrews 4 and 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what it's saying is there is a difference between the spirit and the soul. Now, they are both part of our spiritual nature, but there is a separation. The soul... The soul is the real person. This is containing all that you are, your essence, your personality. It is created by the union of the spirit that comes from God with the body that comes from the dust. So when these two things form together, the spirit and the body, it created a living soul, the Bible says. That living soul is you. That is your personality. That is all who you are within you. And this is confirmed by 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important, hallelujah, that we don't just come here and lift up our, our hearts and to God while we're here. We go home and, you know, the, you know, the common saying, God looks on the heart. God knows who I am on the inside. Well, this is saying that we need to present what's on the inside, the spirit and the soul and the body blameless before the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. He does look on the heart, but he doesn't just look on the heart. Praise God. But he desires our whole being to be surrendered to him. The spirit, the soul, the body, all of it to be surrendered to him. Now, I understand the difference between soul and spirit, body, all that can be a little bit confusing. This might help. This has helped me to understand it a little bit more uh, uh, we can compare it to the Old Testament tabernacle plan. You see that courtyard surrounding the tabernacle. It presents the body in which the spirit and soul reside. So that is the body. But then you walk into the holy place. It contains the table of showbread, the candlestick, the altar of incense. That little area there represents the soul. And although it's part of the same tent, there's just a, a veil, just a, a, a curtain that separates the soul from the spirit. Again, this is that spiritual man that you are. There's that separation, the holy of holies, uh, which can be entered in only through the holy place in which the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and cherubim resides. That represents the human spirit. Here's where God met with the high priest and communed with him. 
So here's what we see. We see the outer court, which is the body, the holy place, which is the soul, the holiest of holies, which is the spirit. It is your spirit which the Holy Ghost resides. So if you've got the Holy Ghost today, it is living within your spirit. His spirit has taken abode inside of your spirit. But can I say before it can enter your spirit, it first must go through your body, and then it must go through your soul. That's why it's required when you receive the Holy Ghost that you surrender all to him, right? Hallelujah. You can't close off your body and say, I'm not going to respond physically to the spirit of God, and you can't close off your soul and your emotions. Hallelujah. That's why people come in the house of God and they struggle to get the Holy Ghost. It's because they got some barriers on their body. They're not willing to allow God to take over their tongue or release their body to the Lord. And in their soul, they're not willing emotionally to give up certain things. And so they're, they're burying it up and, and keeping the Holy Ghost from being able to enter inside. Hallelujah. But I don't know about you, but I want the Holy Spirit to, to have free reign in my life. Hallelujah. I want the Spirit of God to have free reign in my life. So God has purchased this whole thing. You see this right here. God purchased all of it when he died on the cross. God purchased both the physical and spiritual natures through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6.19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own Hallelujah, for ye are bought with a price, praise God. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, have you surrendered your body and your spirit to the Lord? Have you surrendered your entire being to God? That's what the Lord's saying here. He's saying, listen, it's mine. I reserve the right to the body, the soul, and the spirit. So what happens? Now Now let's get into what happens when we die. What happens to these three compartments when our earthly lives come to an end? And this is really where we start to uh, recognize and get into the details here. What happens to these three compartments when our earthly lives come to an end? Number one, What happens to the body? The Bible is very clear. When we die, our body is returned to the earth. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. It just simply returns to the earth. Genesis 3.19. Come on. Praise God. Genesis 3.19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. There's also several more scriptures there. I see several people taking notes. There's more scriptures there if you'd like to read them later. But that's simply the body. The body, when it dies, it returns to the earth. 
It doesn't do anything other than that. It returns to the earth. Now, uh, again, we can get into a debate about the glorified body and what will happen when Jesus comes back and all that. But right now, all we know is that the body returns to the earth and the body is done with at least until Jesus comes back. Uh, Secondly, what happens to the spirit? Well, the Bible does pretty clearly tell us it returns to God. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, and you can see several other verses there. Uh, James 2.26 also uh, alludes to this. So Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So the human spirit is a chamber in which the Holy Spirit desires to abide and enter. We already talked about that, but this is why it's so important that we be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is why the Bible tells us that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God without the Spirit of God. It's because it's not the body that's going to make it to heaven. Hallelujah. It is the spirit, the soul, the spiritual man that will be going to heaven. Uh, this is a great explanation of this. Uh, sorry, I guess I missed this one here. But Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, it explains the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. I thought that's a great explanation, okay? Why do we have the spirit of man, then we have God's spirit, and, you know, what's the point? Why do we have these two things? Well, if the spirit of the Lord is the candle of the soul, then the Holy Spirit is the light on the candle. Hallelujah. So we've got the candle, and it's sitting there. And without the Spirit of God, it means nothing. It is nothing. But when the Spirit of God comes over and it lights that candle up, now all of a sudden it's a light that illuminates the house. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit of the Lord is the candle. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, and he lights that candle that is inside of us. All right, what happens to the soul? Well, the soul, it goes to Hades or to paradise, which are either the place of unrest or rest to await the resurrection and the judgment. Now, this is where, again, we've got several verses that gives us details, but there's a lot of disagreement on this. I will explain to you what I believe happens here, and then there's other people who might have different opinions. I'd love to hear it after service, praise God. But this is what I believe takes place as we die. Again, the body, it goes to the ground. It returns to the dust. The spirit, that spiritual aspect, returns to the Lord. And then the soul, either the soul uh, goes to Hades or paradise, or we can call it different names, hell or heaven. Sometimes you can call it. Um, now, I believe when it comes to Abram's bosom, Abraham's bosom, which is a common saying, we'll talk about that in the next passage of Scripture uh, in a moment, I believe Abraham's bosom uh, was a resting place for those in the Old Testament. 
I do believe that that was the place where Jesus, the Bible says he, he set captives free. Uh, when he died on the cross and he entered into hell, got the keys of hell, death, and the grave, and then he set captives free. I believe he set free those who were in Abraham's bosom. Hallelujah. And then, of course, he created or he already had set forth a resting place, a place that was paradise, if you will, uh, to take us when now we die. In New Testament Christians, those filled with the Spirit of God, there is a resting place for us. Now, this story here, oh, there it is. It was after, praise God. But this story here is, it's a long story, but this is probably one of the most important stories that we'll tell for this entire series because there's so many details in Luke 16 about heaven, hell, Abraham's bosom, and what it means for us when we die. Now, first, before I get into this, uh, this right here, this is not a parable. I don't believe this is a parable at all. Every time that Jesus gave a parable, he did not give details like names, places, things like that. It was all generalities. There was a farmer. There was a king. There was a servant. He didn't get into details and give names. This story here, we'll see there's all these details. There's names. There's specific things. So I believe Jesus is actually giving an account of something that took place uh, under the earth, on the earth, however you want to say it, but took place before Jesus had come and died on the cross. So let's read this story with that mindset. This is something that took place be- between creation. Uh, it had to have been between uh, Abraham and Jesus. So let's keep that mindset. So Luke 16, verse 22, it says, And it came to pass that the beggar which was named uh, Lazarus, uh, died. I just want to make sure his name Lazarus. I wasn't getting that mixed up. But he died and was carried by the angels into Abram's, Abraham's bosom. Now, first let me pause. If you want a visual on what happens when we die, I believe that's a visual right there. Hallelujah. Our body returns to the earth, but angels come and pick us up. And take us to our resting place. Oh, that, that makes me excited. Hallelujah. So angels came and carried him into Abram's bosom, Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, verse 23, let me see. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, the rich man did, being in torment. So that, you know, there's some people who they say, and we'll talk about it again in a minute, that you go to, you just go to sleep. You're just unaware until the day of judgment. Well, this is happening right now. This is happening at that day, that time, this was taking place. He was being tormented. He seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus, there it is, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he died, or I'm sorry, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may 
dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this flame. Uh, the third lesson, we will be talking in detail about hell and heaven, Lord willing. Verse 25 there, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So let me pause here and state Everything about the afterlife is determined on how we live in this life. Everything in the afterlife is determined by how we live this life. Uh, And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot it neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Uh, thence he said, then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. So, so he's saying that there is a separation here. These are two different places, and there is no crossing between them. There is no visiting hell there, while you're in heaven, there is no visiting heaven while you're in hell or paradise or Hades or whatever you want to say or however you want to call it. There is no trading up. Hallelujah. Uh, there is no I get to hell and then I get off for good behavior, right? There, there is none of that. Once that eternal position is set, you have to wait until the judgment day, and on that day, then you can present your case. But at this point, when we die, the those who are living their life not according to the Scriptures, not according to God's will, they uh, end up in this place right here. Then he says this. He says that you would send Lazarus to go to my father's house. He says, for I have five brethren. He wants him to preach to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You want to know how to stay uh, out of hell and, and go to paradise? Well, you've got Abraham and the prophets. Uh, in other words, you've got your Bible. And your Bible is the way that you stay out of Hades and you make it into paradise. Amen. Praise God. That's how you do it. Praise the Lord. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. Abraham saith, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Uh, praise God. In other words, he is describing Ebenezer Scrooge here. Hallelujah. If Jacob Marley could just go to Scrooge, then perhaps Scrooge would repent. But I'm sorry, this is not a Hollywood movie, nor is it a Christmas novel. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us we've got everything we need to be saved, and it's in the Holy Scriptures. Hallelujah. That's how we do it. Thir- verse 31, and he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So let me make a couple statements here. This is before judgment. 
There are obviously still people living on the earth. So again, they're not just asleep. This is actively happening in real time, in that time. And he's saying, my brethren who are still alive in this timeline, they're still alive while I'm being tormented. So it appears to me that even in the Hades and paradise, these places right here, time still exists. And we're still going through the same timeline. Uh, So that means in heaven, uh, again, you say things like, they're looking down upon us from heaven. To be honest, I'm not sure. That may be very real. Uh, again, it is very possible that they may be looking down from it. I don't believe that they have the power to interfere, and we'll talk more about that next week, but it may be that they are in heaven, and, and, and again, they're in paradise, and they're living along the same timeline, because if they were in Hades or hell, then obviously they could be also in paradise. So Luke 23, 42, that talks about Hades. This talks about paradise. Uh, and Jesus said, and, and he said, the thief said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So this is the place that he's talking about. It is a afterlife. We know that both Jesus and the thief died that day. And the thief, through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, was allowed to enter into paradise. I don't know about you, but I want to make it to paradise. Hallelujah. That's where I would like to be. Revelation 6, 11. Revelation 6, 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So this is talking about those who were being martyred. And he's saying in that timeline, there is a season, again, talking about the same time that they, they were killed. Now they just need to rest in this paradise until the others should be killed as they were and joined them. And then ultimately, uh, we come back with Jesus, uh, praise God, and, and uh, after the lamb's uh, dinner and, and all of that, uh, the bridegroom, the bride dinner, praise God. And we'll talk again about that in the third lesson a little bit. But Revelations fourteen thirteen, it also says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So again, paradise is going to be a place of rest. No more pain, no more suffering, all that that we talk about. That's that paradise we're talking about there. Uh, that's where people who are obeying Scripture, who are living according to God's will, uh, they are going to be in this place of paradise and rest, awaiting the little season until the end comes and we join with our brothers and sisters. So, 
I know I basically answered this question already, but let me kind of give some details. Is the soul asleep or conscious after the physical death, but before the resurrection and judgment? The reason why we talk about this is because many people believe there's this time of just, it's just black. You just, you, you die and it's black until the judgment comes. Well, again, we already read this story where they were actively there in a timeline um, and they were being awake and aware, and they were uh, Lazarus, or I'm sorry, the rich man, he exhibited imagination in verse 27. He ex- exhibited a conscience in verse 24. He exhibited memory in verse 25. He had a reason in verse 30. He had affection in verse 28. Let me, let me just make this statement here. That means every memory... He had to sit there in that torment. He had to remember everything he did right, everything he did wrong. It was all still in his mind. Every affection, every person he loved, it was all still in his mind as he was being tormented. This is a very real and serious thing that we must understand. Some believe that the soul immediately goes into an unconscious state only revived when the resurrection comes. I do not believe this is true. Describing the dead as asleep in the New Testament was meant to be a comfort for those who were living. It wasn't meant to describe what they were doing. So it wasn't meant to say or imply that they're just asleep. They're just blacked out somewhere in a hole. It was to give them uh, comfort, letting them know They may be dead physically, but they're really just awaiting. They're waiting on you, waiting until uh, that day comes. So several times the Bible tells us, and I'm almost done, several times the Bible tells us that if a spirit-filled Christian dies, he is not just going to sit in a hole somewhere, but he is going to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So even before he comes back and resurrection and all of that, we are going to be with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 verse 23. It says, for I am in, <clears throat> praise God, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. How he, he In this passage of Scripture, he obviously recognized he could not go there. It wasn't time yet. He had work to do. He had to wait on God's timeline. But he sought for that opportunity. He desired it. He said, it's going to be much better when I die. Because when I die, I'm going to be with Christ. Hallelujah. So praise the Lord, even though this is again, this is detailing a time that was before the resurrection and all that, he recognized when I die, I'm going to be with Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 6, it also says this, therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Truly, that's what we're talking about here. Being at home in the body is simply being absent from the Lord. Uh, Praise God. For we walk, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident 
I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when my spirit and my soul, it is disconnected, when my body, it dies and it returns to the grave, my soul will be present with the Lord. And I can't wait for that day to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I know today this could seem like, well, we're just seeking after death or we want to die. It's not that we want to die. It's just that we want to be with the Lord. Am I right? We want to be with the Lord. Praise God. And when that day comes, we're not going to be afraid of it. We're not going to be worried about it. That's why Christians don't fear death, right? Uh, Hallelujah. That's why Christians come to church even in the midst of COVID, right? Uh, Hallelujah. It's because we recognize even if it is God's timing, I shall be with the Lord because being absent from the body means I am present with God. How about we stand to our feet right now? Oh, thank you, Jesus. There is one more passage of Scripture. I didn't include it on there. But it says this in verse 11. It says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. That word terror is implying the judgment that is to come. The fact that our soul will either be with him or it will be in hell. He says we persuade men because we know what's coming. We persuade men. This evening as we talk about heaven, we talk about hell, we talk about paradise and Hades, we talk about being absent with the body and being present with the Lord. How many people in your life today would not be present with the Lord? How many people would you have to cry out to Lazarus and say, Lazarus, could you go and preach to them? Because it's too late for me. How many people today do you know that it'd be too late to preach to them the gospel after it's all said and done? Because we know what the afterlife entails for those who are in Christ and for those who are in sin. We must persuade men. And we must preach this gospel. We've got to spread this news. Can I get an amen today? Oh, I'm wondering if right now we can take a few moments to talk to the Lord. I'd invite you even to come down to this altar if you'd like to take a few minutes and let us cry out to God and say, Lord, oh Jesus, I recognize God that that there is this great goal fixed, Lord Jesus, between where I am now and where I am heading. But Lord Jesus,